Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So I thought, you know, it's Mother's Day. I thought I would do something like I haven't done in a number of years. I would reach way back to the day and I would pull out some of those great quotes that I found about moms. And they really are good quotes. For example, Abraham Lincoln once said, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mama. That's pretty sweet. That's that's pretty sweet. George Washington said this. He said, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. I thought that was a little weird. Uh, Personally, (laughs) y'all are in church and you're just thinking, that was sweet. I'm thinking, no, it just sounds a little weird. It sounds a little weird to me. I don't know why. Sounds a little weird. Anyway, he said, "My, my mother was the most beautiful one I ever saw. All that I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical, physical education that I received from her. Okay, I know, I know, that's pretty good. But here's my favorite. Here's my favorite one. Here's my favorite one, and the author is unknown. But this is really good. <clears throat> my mother is the only person on earth who can divide her love among ten children, and each child still have all her love. Now that's, oh, that's, that's awesome, isn't it? You know what, I think that mothers are amazing, but I think that women are amazing. Don't you? If you're a man right now, you should be standing up and hooping and hollering. I'm just saying. If you're a single man, what's wrong with you? Get up, man. They'll crowd around you after the service. They absolutely are. I don't know. I was raised by women. My, my dad died when I was young, so my mom and my sister actually raised me. So I was raised primarily by women. I don't know in the church that I necessarily ever saw the beauty of women. I don't know that I saw it talked about very much, and yet the Bible's really filled with it. So let me just look at a few of the women that's mentioned in the Bible. I guess you got to start with Eve. So like if it weren't for Eve, we wouldn't even be here. Hello. I mean, even if you're in church, you kind of get that one, right? Yeah, Eve. I mean, Eve was awesome. And then, and then you probably have to talk about Ruth. And like if you don't, even if you're not church, you've never really been around church a whole lot, just so you know, a book of the Bible uh, literally is named after her. And if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse. Hello, Ruth one. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you for where you go. Bring it. And your God, my God. That's awesome. Elaine, give yourself a hand. I guess you're going to talk about Ruth, and then you have to talk about Esther, because Esther also has a book of the Bible that's named after her as well. And that's just the Old Testament. And I think somehow that, that I was raised to think that even in culture, the, the, the Bible kind of, kind of bought into culture, but the Bible really didn't buy into culture. The Bible has always had a very high view of women. If you get in the New Testament, how about Mary Magdalene? Yay, let's give Mary a hand, right? If you're a Baptist, you may not have heard this lady a whole lot, but how about Priscilla? And Priscilla, for those of you that like, don't have any idea who she was, she was a powerful church leader in the book of Acts. 
How about Elizabeth, the, uh, the mother of John the Baptist? Like, so John the Baptist was like the forerunner of Jesus. Hello, are you out there? And then yeah, if you're gonna talk about, if you're gonna talk about the mother of, of John the Baptist, you gotta talk about Mary, right? The mother of Jesus. The women of the Bible are absolutely amazing, and I only, I only mentioned a few. <clears throat> and I was interested, so I actually did a little study, and I went back and did a little research. There are actually over 100 women mentioned by name in the Bible. They're awesome. And there's so much that, that they can teach us. This morning, I want us to look at the story of a woman who's mentioned in three of the four Gospels. Again, if you're new to church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And so this lady is so powerful. She was so influential. She made such a, a, an impact that at least three of the four gospel writers talk about her. But here's the interesting thing. They don't mention her name. So like she's not one of those hundred names, over a hundred names that's mentioned. She's a lady that, that her name's not mentioned at all. In fact, we only know her as the woman with an issue of blood, which is not like the greatest of titles. You know, like ladies, would you like that big title? It's not gonna look good on a t-shirt. I don't even know how you put that on a t-shirt. The woman with, I don't know, the, on the back, issue of blood. Y'all looking at me really weird right now. You can't, it's in the Bible. You can't make this kind of stuff up, right? But please don't underestimate the value of this woman. Don't underestimate the power of her influence and what she can teach us. So let's jump into Mark's gospel, who really gives us more details than the other writers, and let's begin to look at her story. Mark chapter 5, we'll start with verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a, a guy named Jairus, came when he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that you'll be healed and so she'll live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So the woman that we're about to meet is not who Jesus was on his way to see. And I mention that because when you first look at her story, when you're first introduced to her at first glance, it only looks like that maybe she's an interruption to the story because Jesus is on, on his way to one of the synagogue leaders' homes. It had to be a big deal. The, this father must have been desperate. He had literally come and threw himself at Jesus' feet and he, and he begged him, you gotta go to my house. My, son, my daughter is sick, she's dying. So... I would think that maybe as Jesus was making his way through this huge crowd that he was moving with purpose, this is not the woman that he was going to see. And then verse 25 says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding. So there are so many women that are mentioned in the Bible that I, I really did wonder why did this woman would remain nameless. And so, you know, you're probably looking for some kind of deep theological thought I got nothing. Or maybe, maybe as we look at her story, we'll discover that there's something that's more, more important, more powerful, sweeter, that would mean more to you than somebody calling you by your name. 
All we know at this point is that she spent 12 years plagued by a debilitating form of bleeding. And I have to confess that at this point, I'm a little uncomfortable. So I'm just going to read the words of another theologian straight out of a, a commentary of the Gospel of Mark about this lady's issue. This guy writes, he says, most likely hers is a prolonged or perpetual menstrual bleeding, possibly due to cysts or other issues. So are you keeping up with the story? So here's a no-name woman about to interrupt, interrupt a day in the life of Jesus, which had to be a pretty big deal. Now, if you interrupted a day in my life, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I'm not anybody that, 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 that has that much uh, importance in this world. And I've gonna live, I've lived way past the age of 33. A day in the life of Jesus would have been a big deal. In fact, if you look at the public ministry of Jesus, Jesus' ministry was about three years. Most of you probably know that. The public ministry of Jesus was maybe less than two years. And so in less than two years of this public ministry, he allows this lady, a no-name lady that we don't know anything about, to interrupt his day. So Mark says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Karen and I know what it's like to suffer the great deal under many doctors. It's been almost six years ago that we found out that Karen had breast cancer. Well, I, re I remember that day like it was yesterday, and I don't have a good memory, and we were on our way to do a wedding. Actually, we were headed to Myrtle Beach to do a wedding, and we had, were on 26 when we got the phone call. It's not the kind of phone call that you want to get on a busy highway. She had surgery, and then she had to go through radiation. She was blessed. She didn't have to go through chemo, but she had to go through radiation. And I saw what she suffered as she went through radiation. I've watched other people over the years suffer under the care of many doctors. I have two good friends right now that are struggling through, as they've gone through, actually, just finished up chemo and radiation. It... If you could see what that does to a body. But this doesn't necessarily refer to the suffering that she endured under the medical treatment. This is referring to really a, a much varied treatment that she underwent. So I read that the doctors of her day would have instructed her to do really all kinds of crazy things. For example, I got this straight out of the Talmud. It says this, take of Persian onions, uh, onions, three logs, which is three pints, boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, then set her in a place where two ways meet. Let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, stand on her left leg. That's not what it says, but it's pretty, pretty close. Set her in a place where two ways meet. Let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let somebody come up behind her and frighten her and say, arise from thy flux. I got some of you right there. That was awesome. I saw some of you jump, which I'm a sick man, I know. So I look at that, I think it sounds more like that's a cure for the hiccups than it does. <laughs> and that's what she would have suffered for 12 years. For 12 years, she did everything that every doctor, maybe every family member, maybe every neighbor, Maybe every person that she knew, all, everybody who might have some kind of crazy cure for her disease, and they would tell her, and she's tried everything. And then the Bible says this, she had spent all she had 
And yet, instead of getting better, she just grew worse. Wow. So she's tried everything that she knows of. She's spent all of her money. It's been 12 long years. And she's worse. I want you to see how desperate she really was. How broken she is and how lonely she must have been. According to Leviticus 15, verse 25, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. So here's what you have to understand. She would have been deemed ceremonially unclean. Y'all with me? In fact, if, if, if you read history, then you'll understand she wouldn't have been permitted to go to church. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to church. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to church because everything that she touched would have been considered unclean. And everything that people touched that she touched, they would be considered unclean. So you look at the life of this lady and you think, you know what, she's got to be at her absolute wit's end. She spent 12 years doing everything she knows and nothing's worked. And she's all alone. And we think 10 days is a long time. The King James Version of Luke's account says that this is a woman having an issue, and I would definitely say that this woman had issues, wouldn't you? She's been quarantined for 12 years. She's been suffering all alone. She has no pastoral care, no pastoral support. None of her family are there. In fact, in this particular culture, you have to understand, in order for her to be sick and to be sick this long, the religious community would have looked at her as though she had some kind of sin. She had sinned against God. You've had some kind of horrible sin in your life that God would plague you with, with this kind of disease, with this kind of infirmity. And so here's the thing. We, don't want, we want to stay away from you. We want to stay away from you. We don't want to have anything to do with you. She spent every nickel she had. She's done every crazy thing that people told her to do. She's no better. She's worse. She's a social outcast. Life is just slipping, ebbing away. She has no hope. She has no hope. There's nothing left for her. Maybe... There's someone here this morning that feels like life is slipping, ebbing away from you. We pray so hard that God would lead us to the right message on the right day for the right people to hear. After the first service this morning, I got a text from an incredible young man who said, I feel like I'm slipping away mentally. Broken people walk through the doors of our church. Broken. Desperate. Maybe you're slipping away physically. 
Maybe you're slipping away financially. Maybe you're slipping away socially. Maybe for some of you, you're even slipping away spiritually. That can't happen, right? I know we're in church. This is 11 o'clock hour, but, but you do understand that people can also slip away spiritually. I mean, 12 years, really? 12 long years. She's done everything that they told her to do. She spent every nickel that she has. She's broke, she's all alone, and she's in worse shape. Don't you know that somewhere in her spiritual walk, that she has to say, God, where, where are you? Like, if you totally abandoned me, what did I do? Maybe, maybe she's believing what all of her neighbors are saying. Maybe she's bought into what her family has been telling her. You've got some unconfessed, nasty sin in your life, and God's punishing you. Maybe she's bought into their stories. How about you? Maybe you're just broken, beaten down, and you're on the edge of losing all hope. And maybe you feel all alone. We're not a perfect church. And we'll, we'll tell you that up front. We're not a perfect church. I don't know of any churches that are perfect because they're filled with fallible people. But we try hard. And one of the things that I am so intent on is that when you pull onto this campus is that you know that you're welcomed here. That you're home. And that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You're never beyond the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. This lady was losing her hope. If that's where you are, just hanging on as we look at the rest of the story. Now let's look at Matthew, how, what, how Matthew describes what happens next in his gospel. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came behind and touched the hem of his garment. And that's out of the King James Version. And I, and I used the King James Version on purpose because I wanted you to see that phrase that he touched the hem of his garment, the hem of his cloak. There's more to it than what you might think. And actually, I just learned this over the last few weeks. I've continued to dig, and there's got to be more than she just touched the hem of his garment. Actually, the hem of his garment of a rabbi's robe, there would have been tassels, four tassels. And those four tassels would have represented God's word. And so as that rabbi wore that, that cloak, it would be a reminder of the people to be into the word, to read the word, to study the word, to know God's word. And that's based on Numbers 15, in case you wondered. And then Mark 5 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately, immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So she says to herself, she says, you know, I have an issue that nobody can help me with. No doctor's smart enough. I've been to every doctor. I've done what every doctor asked me to do. No doctor is smart enough. No religious leader's prayers are powerful enough. Everyone, in fact, is only judgmental of me. There's no place left to go. But Jesus... And if I can touch just the hem of his garment, 
So she believes that she can grab hold of one of those, tackle, those tassels that, that represents God's word that maybe, maybe somehow she, there's no way that she could possibly comprehend exactly who Jesus was. His disciples didn't totally get who he was. It was only after his death and resurrection that they finally were able to put the pieces together. Even they struggled through understanding his story and who he was, that he was God wrapped up in the flesh, and yet he was 100% God, and yet he was 100% human. It was hard to wrap your brain around that and figure that out. But what she did know is if I can get the word, touch the word, and get the word from this man working in me, then maybe there's hope. It's easy to hurry through this story. It's easy to wrap it up and say, hey, it's done. I mean, she was healed. All God's people said, yeah. It's easy sometimes to miss. Sometimes you have to sit in a passage of Scripture. And sometimes you have to go to it day after day after day. And sometimes it's saying, God, what do you want to show me? What occurred to me was something that you probably already know, but in order to grab one of those tassels, this lady had to kneel. She had to get as low as she could possibly get. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot to most of you, but it meant a whole lot to me. I've actually heard other denominations talk about praying in the name of Jesus and the authority of God's word. And so she's trying to get God's word. You understand that tassel that represented God's word. And she's going to take God's word and get God's word in her. And there are people that would say that it's almost as though you can hold God hostage with his word. God, you declared that by your stripes I am healed. So in the name of Jesus, you got to heal me. And I see God saying, really? I don't think so, buddy. You don't hold God hostage. And what this lady does is that she humbles herself. She doesn't come demanding anything from him. And then it says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and he asked, who, who touched my clothes? It's a weird question, isn't it? I mean, come on. I know this is y'all, you're a really smart crowd, but like, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And I don't know if you know or not, if you're brand new to church, but he's omniscient. When that's a big fancy word. It means hey, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. So don't you think it's a little weird that Jesus would have to stop and say, okay, somebody touched me. Who was it? I mean, you would think like he would turn around and say, woman. Right? So the first thought is, what, wait a minute. What's going on in this passage? So his disciples are going like, really? <laughs> so you're asking us, who in the world touched my clothes? And he said, you see the people crowding, crowding against you. And yet you ask who touched me, but Jesus kept on looking around to see the one who had done it. So, so what is the point of this? He was 100% human. And so there's one commentator that said he was asking out of his humanity. Sounds, I guess, good. but I don't think that he was asking out of his humanity. I think he was asking because he wanted her to go public. Now, again, if you're a little skeptical of church, you're probably saying, I guess he did. 
I, I, I guess he did, you know, like some woman thinks he's going to sneak in, touch his hem of his garment, get healed, she'll slip off. And he said, oh, no, 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 this, this is time. This, this is time for the show. You know what I'm talking about? So I want to I go public with it so everybody will see. And, then, and boys, get, get those baskets ready. We're fixing to take up an offering. I'm, I'm going to heal this lady. I'm going to take up an offering. Man, we're going to have a big take. I mean, look. That, and if that's what you think, then I'm so sorry that preachers like me, fallible men, have given you that impression that that's who God is because it's not. If you know the character of God, if you, if you know Jesus, then what you'll know is that many times in Scripture when he healed somebody, he told him not to tell anybody. He wasn't doing it for show. So why was he doing it? Because he wanted to show the crowd the all-inclusive power of his love. Are you with me? She had been suffering for 12 years. She didn't get better. She got worse. She was broke. She had no money. She had nothing. She had nothing to give Jesus. She wasn't going to bring Jesus a big offering. She had nothing to give. There was nothing for her to give. It was only what she would take from him. Now, what Jesus wanted this crowd to see was that this woman, maybe a no-name woman to you, is important to me. She matters. I want you to understand that there's nobody that's beyond the scope of my love or my touch or my power. And it, and it just gets better. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, he called her daughter. Daughter. A no-name woman. It was a social outcast that nobody wanted to be near who was broke, who had nothing to give. He wanted the world to know that this is my daughter. Her faith has made her whole. So which is the greatest miracle? Is it the healing of her physically or is it her, her new spiritual identity? If you're here this morning and it feels like that maybe life is slipping away. If you feel like that you're just one of those no-named people. That nobody knows and nobody cares. And if you feel like that maybe that this life's slipping away physically. Maybe it's slipping away from you financially. Maybe it's slipping away from you socially. Maybe, maybe it's been slipping away from you spiritually. Then I want you to know that you are not beyond the scope of his love. I do encourage people to get into the word. I encourage people to read the Bible. It's a beautiful book. 
And I would encourage you to grab hold of it, the truth that's in it. But more than you grabbing the truth, watch this, it's the truth grabbing you. And if you could just understand the depth of his love, it'll change your life forever.